Welcome to the Republic of Middle-Aged Men. Uh, as usual, you have your hosts. You've got myself, Tim, and you've got Lachlan. Howdy. And Ruben. G'day. Uh, tonight, I am drinking a Corona with lime um, because the last two days have been magnificent. It's been 28 or 29 degrees Celsius. Uh, not a cloud in the sky. Feels very much like Corona weather, so... Oh yeah, the weather's come good. Mm. Solid choice. What are you uh, drinking there, young Lachlan? Mate, I'm uh, back on the Japanese gin, so I've got the uh, Aiki uh, tonight, which is nice. Uh, I was tossing up. I was going to have a beer, but uh, I think I was a bit thirsty, so I need. Uh, I think I wanted uh, something a bit different to the uh, to the beer. So uh, I'm always going to be having GNTs on this show, though. <laughs> <laughs> have to mix it up for next week <laughs> it's a very it's a very gentle gentlemanly drink it's appropriate i think so i think so yeah and well, <laughs> well speaking of gentlemen what, what are you drinking this evening ruben oh i um i i think i mentioned my wife got me a few bottles of wine for father's day so well my kids got me the bottles of wine right um so tonight yeah. i'm drinking one called a fistful which i think is really funny Fistful of grapes, uh, nice. Yeah. But um, no, that's it's not bad. It's a white. It's going to be a uh, segue when you're saying a gentleman. He was having a gentleman Jack. I was going to uh, <laughs> have envy because I haven't had a uh, had a bourbon for ages. <laughs> Might have to yes, remedy that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're still in book three. Um, our usual progress has been uh, two episodes a book. Uh, but we got up to this section that, whilst not a lot of pages seemed pretty decent and pretty important, so we decided to cover that. Um, so I think before we get on to that, do we just want to do a recap of what we did earlier in the week? Sure. Um, I can do that if you like. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so really we were talking about, uh, so previously we we talked about... Um, I suppose the, the the written word and poem and all that sort of stuff, and we'd moved on to gymnastics last week. So, talking about gymnastics, it's more just the the, phys- the physicality, I suppose, and the, the fitness and all that sort of thing of the guardians. Um, so we talked through a whole bunch of different sort of aspects of that, as far as could be, uh, you know, uh, diet, um, you know, what they were allowed to do, what they weren't allowed to do, and. Um, I think basically we sort of got to a position where they're saying, you know, that they wanted to have uh, balance between, I suppose, the arts. Um, well, I'll give you the quote because I've still got it here. Um, he who mingles music with gymnastic <clears throat> in the fairest proportions and best tempers them to the soul may be rightly called the true musician and harmonist in a higher sense than the tuner of the strings. So basically they're saying they, you know, they're trying to strike a perfect balance in our guardians of uh, being uh, intelligent and scholarly, as well as like physically capable and able, and uh, are going to be able to be a, a good soldier off the back of that, and a, and a good um, representative of this um, imaginary utopia city that they're trying to build. Yeah, that's a really good summary. Yeah, and then um, so then I think the rest of book three is only a couple of pages. Actually, not much in it, but um, I think 
I think I think what's happening here is they're getting towards the end of book three and he's summing up a lot of where they've been through. So it kind of gets really dense again. And um, I think that's why we've decided just to do the end of the book three, despite it only being two or three pages, because there's just a lot in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But before they get to, uh, I know what <clears throat> is kind of like the, uh, the, the biggest sort of part of it. Um, they just sort of go through this sort of criteria thing around how they would select Who's, who should be uh, the ruler and who should be the subjects of this uh, of this society? I, I did think that was uh, um, somewhat interesting as well, to be honest. Mm. Is that because they automatically assume the ruler should be someone old? <laughs> uh, no, and look, I, I think that's a pretty traditional view of uh, society for a, for a long period of time. That's probably changed a little bit now, modern age, but. You know, for, for most of time, that was probably a pretty normal kind of view, I would suggest. It kind um, of still is to a certain extent, I'd say. Like, I, I don't know what well, our prime ministers have gotten younger, but they're still not, you know, they're no spring chickens. That's true. That's true. I just, I yeah, just think from, look- a pra- from a practical standpoint, you, you're not going to have the life experience that's required for leadership if you're too young. Yeah, More often for sure. Than not. For sure. Yeah, so I mean, whilst I agree that like the oldest is best, there's still like a bunch of other criterias, I guess, that they wanted to kind of um, tick off for those people who would be um, who'd be the leaders of this rather than the, the subjects. So, yeah. you know, whilst they should be sort of, I'll read through. I made a couple of notes. Um, they should be uh, wise and efficient, um, and to have special care for their state. Um, they talked about the fact that they would care for what they love, and that they would love that which he regards as having the same interests as themselves and that of which the good or evil uh, fortune supposed by him at any time to affect his own. So more or less sort of saying that um, that their interests would align with what the state is trying to achieve and that it would be good for that person and good for the state at the same time. And that's the kind of person they want to lead because it's in their interests for the state to survive and be fruitful and successful. Um, yeah, I um, what do you call it? That's, that's the first bit I highlighted too. That was the first bit I ran mm-hmm. into. Okay, that's interesting. So I start off by saying we care, but we care most for what we love. Mm. Um, the implication being the best person to care for a state is one that actually loves it. Um, but my book says, uh, characterizes like this, the deepest affection is based on identity of interests which is i think what you were just trying to um explain yeah um i just thought that was an interesting way to put it uh, identity of interest well did you have any thoughts on that bit um tim no really i it, it sort of makes sense um particularly with what they've already talked about um yeah i, I don't really have anything to add for that part did you guys translations use the term um, identity? Uh, I don't think identity. It was more about just talking about the interest, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, and uh, look, I, I think that sort of speaks to how uh, Socrates is sort of like looking at um, like the way humans are in the fact that they do typically have self-interest, you know, somewhat above all. So they're sort of saying, well, if humans are going to be self-interested, then let's try and find people who are self-interest aligns with that of the, of the state and 
you know, let's sort of use that to our advantage. So I think that's just kind of where he's coming from there. I don't know. That's my yeah, take. I think so. Yeah, no, but you know what it reminds me of? Um, I don't actually agree with this argument wholeheartedly, but there's, you know, you hear this uh, from time to time about the idea of uh, capitalism. They're like, uh, the argument sort of goes like, uh, capitalism works because people make money by tailoring their products to people's desires. Um, so mm. their interest is profit, but then it works because they're, uh, that, that, they, they think they can then harness greed because that is a person's primary interest. But due to the capitalist system, you can then uh, uh, use that to serve others. I, I don't agree with it, but I'm just that, that's sort mm. of what it reminded me of. But maybe more a wholesome, more of a wholesome version, because the the their primary interest is love of the state, not uh, profit. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, you, you're right. It, I think um, they do have. Um, um, I think the interests of the the state at heart, rather than power as a as a central sort of guiding philosophy of what they're trying to do. So, yeah, I think you did right. Um, is that what we want? Is, is that is that what you, is that what you guys would want ideally in a leader? I don't think so, but it's it's just interesting because this experiment that they're kind of setting up doesn't seem to really echo reality, right? Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting because they they sort of start out with Socrates kind of like setting up what he thinks. The ideal state is and he's got a very different opinion of what that is compared to the other guys who are present there and um you know i think he's got a very simple view of what's wants and needs and all that sort of thing um you know if you're going to look at maslow's hierarchy of needs and all that sort of thing I, I think that's where he's coming from it's just what do you actually need rather than worrying about looking at luxury and all the stuff you could possibly have if you want to get into that sort of like cons consumerism or whatever it may well be. Um, yeah, you but can then see that kind of comes, pops its head up every now and then, doesn't it? The, the it really does. Expectations yeah. that Socrates seems to have. Yeah. yeah, and then you've got Glaucon, I think, who kind of tries to sort of bring him down a bit to sort of say, well, you know, I appreciate that's how you feel, but, you know, there's a lot of other people who'd be like, yeah, you know, but I want a sofa in my salon, not just, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> some polished floorboards or something so um <laughs> I, I think he's just trying to kind of inject a bit of reality into i suppose that the simplicity that that socrates uh, imagines yeah but coming back to your original question ruben about is that what you would want a leader to be uh, um can you can you ask the question again just so i get it right is that what you would want? Is that a is that a, a, a quality you would want in a leader that that their primary motivation is to do what is good for the state? Um, I think I think so, you almost have to put a caveat, but I think you almost have to put a caveat on the term state because Socrates, when he says state, he's talking about the whole community. Yeah. Um, whereas I think when we say state in our current day and age, you say the state, and people think, "Oh, the feds, man." Like, you know, the government. Um, <laughs> well, what, what I wanted I, to consider from your question, if I, if I can just, um, just bear with me for a second, is um, wh what are the alternatives for, for a leader? So you've got someone whose basically priority is the good of the... Can we use nation instead of state? Does that 
change its meaning to something interchangeable. Like I think. Yeah, not really. Um, well, just from what you're saying, are you going towards saying some of the alternatives would be self-interest? That might be one. Well, I they do what's best for them, or three options. So it'd be the yeah, state, well, okay. themselves, or the people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is there a fourth? I guess I could work against so. those things. You could you could have someone who's essentially tyrannical, worships or, death, or something, or just someone who's <laughs> just trying to create the most carnage that he possibly can. That's his priority. Yeah, someone who hates the system and wants it to fail. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I guess that would be the fourth one, but could be an I mean, outlier person. But yeah. Yeah. But I think that'd be just, again, sort of being out for yourself, right? And yourself may have different interests. You might want to rule the world and you want to take over every country that there is, right? Or you might want to, you know, go and do something that's altruistic, right? But, mm. you know, but it's still perhaps interests of yourself, right? So it could okay. go in so any direction think, from there. So there's three? I think so, roughly. We'll, right. we'll, we'll settle for three for now. Say good mm. enough. <laughs> um, so, is that then, if you're picking a leader, uh, which which one of those three choices would be our preferred choice? And would you want a leader who uh, is for the state, or for the people, or for themselves? I would think people. Maybe they're implying people by state. Maybe it's one and the same in this conversation. I'm not sure. I, I think Socrates is certainly pointing towards people, right? Because that's Previously, when he's, I think that's what he means about, by community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I must admit, I, I must be applying my more modern thinking to this sort of thing. When they, when they, you're right, when they sort of say state and not thinking about the way Socrates is sort of putting it. Uh, sorry, I've been playing bloody Assassin's Creed, so I've got Socrates in the in the mind rather than uh, Socrates now. So <laughs> <laughs> Socrates. Socrates. <laughs> uh, now that you're playing that game a lot, I bet every time. Something frustrating happens to you. You utter the word "laga" <laughs> every time. Oh, that game. I must have said "malaka" five hundred times that year. I played that game. Yeah. yeah. I tell you, I'm enjoying it on this uh, second playthrough as much as the first. It's still it's sixty frames well, per second. Is great. Didn't you say the other day you found in game where Socrates and Glaucon and uh, that whatever. Adamantus or whatever we're, we're discussing yeah. the Republic or something. Yeah, at uh, Pericles's uh, house, they're having a having nice. a party, and they're uh, they're they're discussing. Yeah, definitely some of these topics we've been going through, which was which is too funny. And then I got sent on a mission to uh, Corinthia, and they're talking about the Corinthian girls. So, <laughs> <laughs> was there any floozies there when you went there? Absolutely, the hetera. It's a because you get in there and uh, Alexio, the first thing he says, ah, Corinthia, known for their pottery and their prostitutes and not much else. <laughs> hey, am I the only one who sees Socrates as like Bender in Futurama? Um, there's this episode where um, Fry wants to go to the moon and they go to the moon and Bender gets thrown out from the theme park mm. and he's like, fine, I'll make my own theme park. With blackjack and hookers. In fact, <laughs> forget the park. It's <laughs> the best one. Yeah, I think Bender yeah. made Corinth. Yeah, could be. Could be. It's 
very funny how they um, painted uh, uh, Socrates uh, in this game too, because like they're initially sort of sort of medium or something like that, and uh, Alexia is talking to uh, somebody at the party about uh, Socrates. And so they say, oh, he's an interesting guy, and they go, oh well, at least he's wearing shoes today, you know, like. <laughs> Like hanging shit on him. Whoever made that game came to some similar like ideas about him that we did from reading this, obviously. Well, oh, for sure the developers had read through this and, you know, would, had to have used sort of thing. And, and that's, I suppose, one of the things you always enjoy about those Assassin's Creed games that they, they do go and try and, you know, interlace historical stuff with non-historical stuff. But anyway, oh, I've diverged yeah, our conversation too far here. Let's go back. Let's go back. <laughs> well, that's why that's why we had a third episode for this book because we knew we would dribble a bit on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, from on, on what you were saying, you know, which one would you want? You'd, I, I'd agree. You'd want one that prioritizes the people, but I think there's a balance there because... I mean, to protect the people, you need a strong government, which is kind of what he's getting at with the Guardians. If you don't have a strong leadership unit and a strong defense, then the people are not going to be protected. So there's always going to be a balance between what's good for the the state in modern terms and what's good for the people. Mm, for sure. Yeah. I agree with that. Okay. So, let's, so from um, there, let's uh, on. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, look, from there, they, they start sort of like talking about the selection process, which I, I thought was quite uh, interesting too, um, you know, to try and find um, the most suitable candidates um, who are going to you know, basically spend their life doing what's good for the country. Um, and the process they went through was <laughs> it was quite interesting because um, more or less they're sort of saying that, that they wanted to watch them at all stages of their life um, to see if they would uphold the state's ideals or to see if they would cast it off um, and, I don't know, diverge from from the, the from viewpoint. Their, from this education that uh, Socrates yeah. has been talking about. Um, yeah. What's it starting jettison? to sound like, Ruth? Huh? What, what's, what's this starting to sound like? <laughs> <laughs> You can't sit outside the doctrine. We're going to watch you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> big brother over here, big brother Socrates. That's it. So, Ruben, what was um, the term that your book used? Was it jealousy? No, jettison. If they see if that would jettison this, uh, the things that they've taught them in education. Mm. I thought that got really interesting right there. Mm. Um, because he then says, he's, I think Glaucon's like, what do you mean? And then they went into different categories of um, like holding on to these truths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, my book says it this way. Um, it seems to me that when any belief leaves our mind, the loss is either voluntary or involuntary. Voluntary when the belief is false and we learn better and involuntary whenever the belief is true. Yep. Um, so I, I thought that was a really interesting way to characterize. And I kind of tried to summarize it. I don't know whether I quite got there, but he's like basically saying there's, um, there's like different types of belief. You've got like true ones that are voluntary belie voluntarily believed. Then you've got false ones that are involuntarily believed and false ones that are forgotten or misled. Um, yeah, sorry. Go. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I, th- I think we had a sort of categorizer similarly, but maybe a little differently. I think they were just talking about how they could be deprived from the truth. Is that the bit you're sort of talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, so they came up with uh, sort of three different sort of ways. One was um, theft of that truth through argument or debate where they could have like uh, they talk about being in a classroom and the teacher changing the hearts and minds of that classroom and uh, stealing the truth from them, Um, which is an interesting way of putting it. Um, By force was the second one. Um, Some through violence or pain. Uh, or grief would compel them to change their uh, their opinion. Uh, and the final one, which was a really weird one, I'm curious if this is the same translation for you, Rubes. They called it enchantment. And well, enchantment, which is roughly the same right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but it was basically sort of saying that this is kind of more that where maybe people are more easily influenced, and it was the softer side of things where it might be the influence of pleasure or um, the sterner influence of um, threat or fear or something like that to coerce somebody to change. Um, well, I think, I'm, and I think even fundamentally right at the start, I'm not sure whether... I actually don't really know what I think about it, so I'll, I'll lay it down and see what you guys think. But um, he says, Surely you agree that men are always unwilling to lose a good thing, but willing enough to rid of a bad thing Hmm. um and isn't a bad thing isn't it a bad thing to be deceived be be deceived about truth so kind of almost presupposing that truth is a good thing and nobody's going to give it up unwillingly i don't is that correct i don't think so because i i think and maybe it's a hot take but I think a lot of what they're setting up is actually going to be making a difficult lives for themselves. And they may be very, very willing to dump that truth because it's inconvenient and a pain in their ass. <laughs> and if you get rid of that truth, you know, you don't have to deal with that shit, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I, I think that's just uh, Socrates again, sort of having that simplicity of what he thinks people should really want or need and, and that's not really how people always behave. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's almost abundantly clear that um, some people will choose a lie mm. if it's if it's convenient. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether so, they're um, missing 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 what they're trying to say there, but no. Look, I, I look. I, I think you're right, uh, but uh, Glaucon doesn't doesn't fight uh, Socrates' arguments as hard as what uh, Thrasymachus does, right? So, um, yeah. But do you, you think know, despite sometimes the fact he doesn't understand gonna... as well? Uh, you might well be right, yeah. yeah. Well, they're also very free-flowing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's kind of like they want to agree because they want to see where he's going with something because you know how it is with uh, uh, Socrates. You know, he gives you a little bit and then it leads to this sort of like three or four steps till you sort of get to what he's actually aiming to get to where he's trying to get yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean and they are still in the process of laying out a hypothetical yeah for sure yeah so from this point they, they talk a little bit more about like sort of the uh the, the testing of these guys and uh, the selection process so uh i've got a little bit to read if you like um 
Sure. They're saying uh, we must watch them from their youth upwards and make them perform actions in which they are most likely to forget or to be deceived. And he who remembers and is not deceived is to be selected. And he who fails in the trial is to be rejected. Um, so really, like they're talking about here, like testing them against some of those enchantments uh, or uh, was it witchcraft? I think you had rubes um, just to see how they yeah. behave and see if they're going to uphold um, those kind of uh situations i think they gave a really interesting comparison about you know if you're trying to train a horse for battle you want to take it to a noisy place and expose it um to see if it's going to you know panic or if it'll be okay with you know the noise of like a battlefield or something like that before you end up in that situation um, yeah and they don't they sort of don't really go into how they'll do that they just sort of see it as a necessity yeah i, I think uh well I don't know. Yeah, you're you're right. Again, like for me, like I just kept having visions of the the KGB shadowing people and like um, <laughs> setting people up to sort of uh, see if they're going to, uh, well, you know, isn't that take the like you said, Big Brother? Isn't that what happens in 1984? Like he they they feed him they feed the main character this book, and he reads That's this right. book, and then he gets involved in the the underground, thinking you know he's part of the resistance, and it was all just a oh spoiler alert. Um, it was, <laughs> It was written in 1948, so I, you know, I, I, whatever. But yeah, yeah, it turns out it was all a big setup. Yeah, so they're just using it to weed out dissidents. I think you're safe. Absolutely. I didn't get any hate about um, exposing the ending of Lord of the Rings the other day, so <laughs> we're okay. Yep, oh, it's interesting. So we can... Look, they move on to uh, another sort of passage which I thought was. Um, um, it's quite important because it sort of leads on to the, the next sort of phase of things that we want to talk about, um, which is sort of leading into the lie. It's not the lie, but it's sort of, oh, this is giving a bit of foreshadowing from uh, Socrates. Um, so here uh, we want to uh, prove them more thoroughly than gold is proved in the furnace that we may discover whether they are armed against all enchantments and of a noble bearing always good guardians of themselves and of the music which they have learned and retaining under all circumstances a rhythmical and harmonious nature, such as will be most serviceable to the individual and to the state. And he who at every age, as a boy and a youth and in mature life, has come out of the trial victorious and pure, shall be appointed a ruler and guardian of the state. So you're going to be watching them for a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, they did say only the old people were going to be in charge, so... I guess it would take a while before you could find someone that was right for the job. You're going to be uh, spending the next 30 years watching them before you go, mm, you didn't make it, you know? <laughs> Actually, that raises an interesting question because, I mean, I know it's a hypothetical state, but obviously Socrates is not going to be the one watching the state. Sure. Like the people within the state are going to be watching, are going to have to be watching each other. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Um, that's actually something I'd made a note to talk about right at the at the very end. Um, we can leave it for the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, but it's a valid point for sure, for sure. But uh, so more or less, they're sort of saying that uh, the ones that get uh, rejected, um, I think they're basically sort of saying there's going to be two sort of levels of guardian. I think it was. Um, the ones who get through the selection process, they're the ones that are going to be called the guardians and they will be the leaders of this. Uh, and the uh, younger men or maybe the ones who don't quite make the cut to get all the way to the top will be sort of uh, auxiliaries or supporters was the way they put it. 
um, mm. to support the, the principles, um, you know, who are the rulers. Um, yeah, that's why they also abandoned the use of the word guardian for the soldiers, correct? Yeah, that's right. So the guardians will now be the leaders yeah. and uh, the soldiers will be the auxiliaries or uh, supporters. That was the word so. I was looking for, auxiliaries. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is this is uh, where they flip the switch. So uh... yeah, so they've basically figured out all of the trades of the city, uh, the different roles, different functions, and now how do you make it all fit together? So this is where the term that caught our interest came through. The the noble lie. The noble lie. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, yes. Sorry, you go, mate. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, that's, that's a, those three words, uh, like, the noble lie, uh, that, that just opens the mind for me, like, ooh, what, what is this noble lie? Um, is this a thing? (laughs) Um, Well, this was the start of that thing. That's right, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll cover, like, is this a thing now, I guess, in the pub for lots of us. Um, sure. but let's let's cover what's in here by the way my corona is just magically refilled i don't know how it happened yeah <laughs> that's convenient yes it's this is uh really interesting because uh as i start talking about this uh socrates is getting a bit uh a bit nervous to kind of like lay out what <laughs> yeah. he wants to talk about um and uh he gets called out by glaucon who's more or less like come on buddy spit like it spit it out you know yeah. like why is it like hanging on your lips? You can't quite, uh, you can't quite bring yourself to, to tell us what you want to sort of say. Um, so uh, this is really interesting because I feel like the book's been like leading up to this point right now. So uh, it's uh, interesting. So look, um, they did, I'm going to give you a quick preface before we sort of go into this, right? Um, oh, and sorry, my um, eyes are watering. <laughs> Don't mind me. You might have to edit me out, Tim. Um Basically, uh, earlier in the book, they were talking about lying, right? And they established that uh, a god could not lie and that men should not lie because that's dishonest and that is um, not to be... um, I can't remember exactly what the word they used, but it was kind of the worst thing you could possibly do, right, Um, is to lie. But the only person who could lie was the leader of... um, whatever your you know city or town or whatever it may well be right Correct. and uh, the ruler the ruler could lie um but only if it was a uh, and i think he used the term back then a noble lie or the or the the royal lie or something like that yeah and um i did think that was a little bit odd at that time and so this is kind of the the, the opening yeah, up of commented it on that yeah we kind of commented yeah. on it, like he's talking about truth 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 why is he creating this special category now we get special to three and it's like now we're seeing why that special category was created. So I, yeah, Socrates I uh, plays the yeah. long game. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm happy to start. I'll read this part out. Um, go for it. And we'll go from there. Okay. How then may we deceive one of those needful falsehoods of which we lately spoke? Just one royal lie which may deceive the rulers, if that be possible, and at any rate the rest of the city. What sort of lie, he said. Nothing new, I replied. 
only an old <laughs> Phoenician tale of what has often occurred before now in other places, as the poets say and have made the world believe, though not in our time. And I do not know whether such an event could ever happen again, or could now even be made prof- uh, probable if it did. How your words seem to hesitate on your lips. <laughs> you will not wonder, I replied, at my hesitation when you have heard. Speak, he said, and fear not. Well then, I will speak, although I really know not how to look you in the face, or in what words to utter the audacious fiction which I propose to communicate gradually, first to the rulers, then to the soldiers, and lastly to the people. They are to be told that their youth was a dream, and the education and training which they received from us, an appearance only. In reality, during all that time, they were being formed and fed in the womb of the earth, where they themselves and their arms and appurtenances were manufactured. When they were completed, the earth, their mother, sent them up, and so their country, being their mother and also their nurse, they are bound to advise for her good, and to defend her against attacks, and her citizens they are to regard as children of the earth, and their own brothers. You had good reason, he said, to be ashamed of the lie which you were going to tell. <laughs> True, I replied, but there is more coming. And I'll pause there for now. <laughs> so it's a complicated lie. It's not a simple lie. Yeah, um, so it's, it's um, a so very well thought out lie. Um, yeah, I feel like no, we didn't make this yeah, up well, on the spot. Yeah. Well, we don't have to. We don't have to go into it. But I, I, I did make a note, just sort of as he's leading into it, when he says, "Oh, nothing new. A fairy story like the poets tell it and have persuaded people to believe." Um, he's sort of, um, because you know they they talk a lot about the gods earlier on, um, and and that, and he's willing to sort of shift what the gods are and what they say for a purpose. Yeah. But this is him coming back again. And this is kind of him giving a reason or a purpose for myth, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Like no, he clearly sorry. sees, he clearly sees myth and stories as, uh, as a tool for, uh, well, let's just be charitable and say for teaching truth. Sure. Which, which <laughs> yeah. I guess is why he's hesitant in this bit. Cause he's like, I know this is not true. Yeah, but so like absolutely. He's trying. He's system. trying to. Yeah, he's he's trying to use a myth to. Uh, I don't know whether he's trying to use it to teach a truth, whether he's just trying to get a, a result. He uh, or after the next passage, which we can read in a sec, he, he does actually sort of give the explanation for it. Yeah, um, right, we'll leave off on that. Yeah, do you, do you want me to take passage two, Tim? I'm happy to do it. I'll, I'll well, no, no, before before we before we move on, sorry, you, you were saying, Tim, like it's it's a weird like it's a weird lie, and you commented lock on that it's like it's a little. Oh, I, I didn't you, you didn't use the term sophisticated. So, what is it about this this particular lie that you say is a little bit weird or, or sophisticated or complicated? I don't think it's complicated, but it's just. Um, I think it was just interesting that he set this up. And had the foresight when they're arguing about how evil lies are to to leave the loophole for the lie that he knew he would need to <laughs> unify his utopia. So you think that's what the purpose of this particular myth or lie is? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. What were your I'm thoughts reminded, on that? Too? I'm reminded of 
and I know that not everyone loves this show, but Game of Thrones, there's a scene in um, season one where the current king, Robert Baratheon, is talking about what's stronger, five armies or one, and his answer is one. And um, his point is because of that enemy army being united with a common purpose and a common goal under one leader that army would defeat all the other five put together because the other five are disorganized they don't have common beliefs they're squabbling with each other um and and i think that's absolutely correct in that sort of uh, story and i think it's been proven to be correct in history that nations that go to war who are united generally win against those that are not um so i think that's probably part of his rational is just you know th this nation for it to be strong has to be united and so we need mm. this common belief system that unites everybody together um agree yeah, yeah. i think yeah. i agree so before before you go to the next passage basically what he's saying he wants people to believe that their childhood, which this whole education system that he's painted, essentially didn't happen. And he wants people to believe that they were formed in the earth and that when they became fully grown, they were released into the state. Is that is that roughly what he's saying? I think it's a philosophical thing, obviously. Um, I don't think he's necessarily expecting them to believe they act like that actually happened. But I think it's kind of like... Um, I mean, look, they, they do sort of talk about like the earth bit sort of further on. So I don't know, maybe he does think that, that that's what they're actually going to believe. I'm not too sure. It just seems like a very long bow to try and convince people of that. You know what I mean? Is it, is it well, like the Matrix do you think... where um, people were yeah. asleep and then they wake up and they're like, oh, this is actually everything I did before was a lie. Now I'm awake. But except <laughs> the problem is, that, and you could say that would be true, right? If they had the blue pill, right? But there's no blue pill in this society as far as I'm aware, right? So, so where is the line from when they wake up from the dream to into reality? By the so, way, the new Matrix trailer looks awesome. And I love the choice of song. Yeah, that's yeah, good. It's pretty cool. Um, I, from what I can tell at this early stage, the, the, the goal of this sort of myth or lie is sort of twofold. Like one is, like you say, to unite, unite the state in, in one sort of idea. But beyond that, I think what it gives the entire, everyone involved in the community, it gives them something to defend beyond, um, almost beyond the community itself. Like, it, it, I, I think it almost gives them a reason not to just look at the community as a group of different classes and different families, but as of be, looking at it as being part of the earth itself. Um, so it really sort of ties them into that. And then I think the other thing that it does is uh, reduces that likelihood that people are going to be connected to their family over the state. Um, and I think because you can see earlier on, they're talking about, um, they were talking about, you know, oh, actually, I won't say that because I think that might be further on in the book. Yeah, let, <laughs> let him do the next passage and then we'll, yeah, then we'll, yeah, you go. we'll wrap some more. <laughs> All right. I'll just find where I was up to. Oh, yep. Okay. Here we go. Okay. True, I replied, but there is more coming. I have only told you half. Citizens, we shall say to them in our tale, you are brothers. Yet God has framed you differently. 
Some of you have the power of command, and in the composition of these he has mingled gold. Wherefore also, sorry, wherefore also they have the greatest honour. Others he has made of silver, to be auxiliaries. Other again, who are to be husbandmen and craftsmen, he has composed of brass and iron, and their species will generally be preserved in the children. But as all are of the same origins, uh, original stock, a golden parent will sometimes have a silver son, or a silver parent a golden son. And God proclaims as a first principle to the rulers, and above all else, that there is nothing which they should so anxiously guard, or of which they are to be such good guardians, as of the purity of the race. They should observe what elements mingle in their offspring, for if the son of a golden or silver parent has an admixture of brass and iron, then nature orders a transposition of ranks, and the eye of the ruler must not be pitiful towards the child, because he has to descend in the scale and become a husbandman or artisan, just as there may be sons of artisans who, having an admixture of gold or silver in them, are raised to honour and become guardians or auxiliaries. For an oracle says that when a man of brass or iron guards the state, it will be destroyed. Such is the tale. Is there any possibility of making our citizens believe in it? <laughs> it is an audacious lie. <laughs> yeah. But you can see what he's trying to do, right? Absolutely. He's trying to make he's a like... system. <laughs> no, yes, but he's also... He's almost, it's a dirty word, I know, but he's almost trying to create this type of equality um, yep. in the sense that just because you're born a, a farmer doesn't mean you can't somehow become a guardian. And and then it's also creating the system where just because you're born into a, a guardian family, you got to work for it. It doesn't mean you're not going to end up being something else. I think that's actually very much sort of speaking to uh, Socrates sort of viewpoint too of maybe the uh the, the the rich and wealthy having too much power and give getting their sons you know the, the fast track and the easy track up through the, the ranks of whatever ne else nepotism it's, a, it's yeah yeah it, it's a guard against nepotism as well which is i think yeah. what i was about to try to say earlier is it, yeah. it, it sort of severs that family tie as well mm. and refocuses mm. it on something greater yeah for yeah. sure I think um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, obviously, like you know, he's uh, he's putting the sort of f f a little bit of fear laced into it there. That you know, if we don't sort of follow this, there's you know uh, you know ramifications and repercussions for you know putting the wrong person in the wrong job and all that sort of thing to to make sure that people sort of stick to this this philosophy and don't cheat the system. Um, but I think uh, it's it's a fairly well thought out lie. In uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think it was too off the cuff from uh, uh, Socrates. I think he's been thinking about this one for a while. <laughs> it's something yeah. he's been thinking about. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's it, it, very interesting though that he's uh, has absolutely moved to a uh, um, uh, monotheistic sort of uh, view there. So we've gone from gods to God, um, which was something he's kind of. Uh, Given us shades of in some of earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, well, I wonder if he's saying, in, in the context of his little story, his little myth, 
I'm wondering mm. if he's gone to a, a Mother Earth because he refers to being children of the Earth. I'm wondering if that's his uh, singular god in that context. I don't know. Maybe. Well, uh, I think there was think a, so. an overarching uh, Greek goddess. Um, oh god, I'm trying to think now. Um, who, who sort of held that position in Greek mythology already. I can't think who it was. Um, yeah, so look, I mean, he, I guess he's at the moment just trying to sort of uh, put some sort of general concepts in place and maybe he's planning to sort of flesh it out a bit more. And that, I, I suppose, you know, in fairness, he does sort of actually sort of say that because he more or less tries to gloss over this very quickly at the end of the this sort of part that he's sort of relayed to Glaucon and before Glaucon can really think about it too much, he's kind of like, anyway, anyway, let, let's, let's move on to talk about something else. And we come back to that. We come back to that. I think you're um, right. I think like, this is a pretty big deal. What he's suggesting yeah. here and he does, he yeah. kind of just lays it out and then moves on. Um, yeah. yeah, it is a big deal. I mean, Glaucon and, does. Um, he's like, hey, no, one's going to believe that. Like, and then he's like, not the first generation, but you know, maybe the second or the third. And then he just moves on. <laughs> Yeah, which is just quite bizarre, really, um, because I mean, he's shocked by the lie, you know, from the from the first cut, and then you get, pow, here comes the second cut, whoo, you know, that's a that's a big thing to stomach, and then uh, I don't know, he seems to have um, softened a bit, the old Glaucon, and sort of uh, accepts it a little bit uh, rather quickly, but uh, I think he understands that. Oh, okay, I see where this is going, but. It's a it's a massive rabbit hole, and they kind of agree to just jump out of that rabbit hole. <laughs> but then they move yeah. on to the next part, which is, I think, interesting, and it's probably countercultural again, um, where he's basically saying, "All right, so enough of the fiction. Um, let's have a look and see where they can live. Um, yep. You know, their dwellings and that sort of stuff, and um, basically prescribes that the top of the um, social hierarchy has essentially the least amount of possessions. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and then that pretty much goes to the end of book four, right? I'm just... Because my yeah. book is not clear on when it starts. And Because um, at the start of book four, there's an objection to that idea that you're just going to give that ruling class bare minimum. We're not touching that objection. That's the start of book four, I isn't it? Haven't got, I haven't got yeah, to yeah, that bit yet. Four. Yeah. Oh, perfect. All right, good, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what he says yeah. at the end of three is... Um, he uses an analogy of wolves, I think. Yeah. Um, where is it? Uh, he, he basically sort of says um, that the, the guardians this. will naturally be stronger and well-educated. And if they are for wants... Uh, then they may turn on the citizens who will be weaker, uh, and like wolves would, you know, turn on their prey. Oh, I think was kind of the analogy he used. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're saying that basically they, they can't have this situation in their protectors. Uh, so they acknowledge that you know whilst they're going to be well educated and we're going to have to care for them, um, but interestingly, so uh, Socrates is still sort of concerned, uh, I guess, about sort of some temptation that's going to impact their virtue. And um, I think this is where we sort of get into, he's sort of talking about now um, the way that they should live in order to kind of prevent that from happening. Um, so really it's, it's kind of a, a quite a meager lifestyle as you're talking about, Tim. Um, it's 
more or less no possessions, right? Um, other than the needs you should have as a soldier. So obviously just your, yep. your, your weapons, armor or whatever else. Um, Does it kind of describe a, kind of, like a barracks or a communal living type arrangement? Yeah, more or yeah. less, yeah. Uh, eating in the mess hall. Yep. yep. Living so, together, yeah. getting paid a, an allowance that just covers your expenses, I think, was kind of the deal. That's right. Yeah, so it was like an allowance enough to get by, but not enough to, you know, start buying properties and investing in different businesses and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Because they were very specific about property. They said, you know, you must own no property and nor have any place. It was kind of like that you couldn't like kind of like lock up your possessions or something like that. They put it as though like like you could not close a door that someone could not enter should they want to or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. basically, you know, whatever you own should just be there at the foot of your bed and there should be no reason for you to want to kind of like hide anything away because you don't own anything else, right? Um, That's right. And then, um, yeah, yeah, it's um, sort of more or less living living together in a communal lifestyle, um, which is interesting for essentially what they're, they're talking about, the ruling class here. Yeah, it's like making um, the ruling class a communist class, but the lower class ooh. a capitalist class. Yeah. And <laughs> look, they get, onto that, yeah. They, they, they get onto that um, with, I think, like the last sort of a couple of paragraphs um i might read those because that kind of sets i think the idea around how they see that working because on face value you wouldn't think that's going to work um so it's really just kind of continuing the lies so this is kind of like the lie phase three I will do, <laughs> like that, so <laughs> uh, do, you, do you want to go tim because you did the first two if you want to keep going or... sure um this is from my reading uh, from <laughs> um, from uh, gold and silver, we will tell them. Oh, okay. Oh, you just read, man. I can't see it. Oh, read it. Okay, right. Um, my spot. Uh, gold and silver, we will tell them that uh, they have from God. The divine and metal is within them, and they have therefore no need of the dross which is current among men, and ought not to pollute the divine by any such earthly admixture. For that commoner metal has been the source of many unholy deeds but their own is undefiled. And they alone of all the citizens may not touch or handle silver or gold or be under the same roof with them or wear them or drink from them. And this will be their salvation and they will be the saviors of the state. But should they ever acquire homes or lands of monies of their own, they will become housekeepers and husbandsmen instead of guardians, enemies and tyrants instead of allies of the other citizens, hating and being hated plotting and being plotted against they will pass their whole life in much greater terror of internal than of external enemies and the hour of ruin both to themselves and to the rest of the state will be at hand for all which reasons may not say that thus shall our state be ordered and that these shall be the regulations appointed by us for guardians concerning their houses and other matters Dang, Socrates just dropped a bomb on him. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty yeah, heavy. I, it is, yeah. I, Socrates. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, and um, I don't know whether this is after the bit you read or before, but or maybe just the translation difference, but he mentions why this is, and he's like, um, yeah, no, I think it's the same bit, but he says... Um, 
for there is without impute. While while that in currency among men is a common source of wickedness. Hmm. Um, and that, that bit like where, you, where he's saying about they've got gold in them, so they have no no use for earthly gold. I thought all that was really, really interesting, like very sort of religious language. Absolutely. And, and sort of this idea that uh, there's a divine source of goodness and it's and, and earthly versions of it like gold are corrupted. Like it's, it's yeah, like you say, you really... You really start swinging at that bit. Absolutely, uh, and I think, um, yeah, it's very much the, the same sort of. Uh, you, you're right; it does become very relig- religious kind of language that he's he's sort of rolling into it now. And, and it makes sense. It makes sense of the part, you know, right at the start where he's like, "And all people need is, you know, a bed and some and some and some basic food and that." And, and like, and we we're joking that he's just like this homeless dude, so, and he, you know, he yeah. doesn't wear shoes or whatever. Um, so he's kind of got this really negative idea of, you know, earthly wealth. Yeah. yeah, He's kind of constantly pointing towards this, this, this greater, this greater life or this greatest, greater, greater source of wealth that's, that's beyond like the earthly type stuff. Um, Mm. so it makes, it kind of makes sense because you can see it in his lifestyle. And I mean, you could argue that maybe he's only saying this because he's poor or you could say he's poor because he actually believes it. Yeah, look, I think in some senses, and the impression I get is that it, it's kind of the latter there and that it's kind yeah. of uh, almost a choice of his to, to live a certain way and to just partake of the simple things of life. And, you know, in, in most ways, it seems like he's happy to get, you know, payment by way of a meal in in lieu of his services as an orator or, a, you know, debater or whatever it is at, at these kind of occasions, you know what I mean? Well, ultimately, and another spoiler alert from this one's 2,005 years, 500 years old or whatever. Um, yeah, he ends up dying because he chooses death over not being able to speak the truth. Interesting. Yeah. Essentially, the state take a hold of him and they're like, you got to stop saying these things. We don't like it. And then he's like, I'd, I'll drink poison and die before I stop talking the truth. And they said, you know here you go. Mean? Yeah, pretty, yeah no, that's pretty much what happened. And he did. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, that, that's how the story goes, but it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit ironic when you look at the way that he's setting up this perfect state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Mm. But, uh, now look, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, the particular, the words about their, uh, uh, you know, that they're going to abstain from gold and that this will be their salvation. And yeah. it's kind of like that this is the the reward for the work that you're that you're putting in right so this is a higher reward than gold or riches is going to be and um this is what you should seek as the pinnacle of our society is that why you think he has is that why he's so keen on them believing that myth that lie i think i think so so because if you think about it what what reason would you want to be a guardian and if if humans are naturally self-serving what reason would you want to do it? And I think that's why the lie is important because you've got to give people a higher purpose to work towards. And without this purpose, I don't think this would work. Um, I think I get what you're saying. Can I put it a different way? Sure. So I think what you're saying is if you're someone who's in it for me and you're after the material benefits, then you're going to claim that you are actually a third tier citizen 
because that doesn't make you a soldier, it doesn't make you a guardian, it makes you someone who can have a crap ton of possessions. Um, sure. Because you haven't got that gold inside. Yeah. Um, but if you actually want to pursue the good of the state and a virtue, and you're willing yeah. to sacrifice all those physical advantages, um, yeah. then you'll pursue that internal gold. Yeah, and I think it's, it's trying to provide that leveling to make that still attractive, because otherwise... Um, everyone would be like, sweet, I'm just going to be a merchant. You guys can go suffer in the barracks and not have two pennies to rub together. And uh, I don't know, like, because you, you, you're signing up for a pretty, or you could say, right, it, it's like if you were going to go and join the monastery, right, as a young monk, and you've got the choice of maybe, like, joining, like, I don't know, your family business or something like that and becoming a blacksmith or whatever it is, having a certain lifestyle. And instead, it's sort of like a, you take on a life of, of perhaps <clears throat> somewhat poverty, but perhaps you're going to have some spiritual enlightenment that's going to be something of better value to yourself than maybe what you're going to have from worldly possessions. So I think they're trying to give some balance there to make that still something worth pursuing when most people in their current sort of societies that they have are probably more interested in like kind of, you know, commercial gain and looking after themselves and getting that sofa and whatever else it is. Well, I think he's also offering a solution for a problem that was raised when he was arguing with Thrasymachus earlier, because they were talking about reasons why people would uh, go into leadership. And I think from memory, like, yeah, they talk about money and power. And he's like, yeah, but and I think one of the things that came up is like people will do certain things for honor. Yeah. They, they did. And they, they also did sort of spoke uh, speak about, I think, some of the old stories um, talking about the rewards, like the heroes in the stories, getting those rewards of gold and uh, going to uh, heaven and uh, being eternally drunk and uh, whatever else it was. There was a bunch of stories and they were sort of talking about Yeah, and they wanted to and cut they, that out. Yeah, and saying that that stuff was not a good example, right? And so I think um, they were talking about that it should be about nourishment of the soul is what you want to kind of sell as the story um, for what people want to aspire to. And I think this is kind of putting that into action, what they were talking about earlier around trying to, to set the soul up as the the greater thing you want to aim for as far as um, the peak of your, the pinnacle of your society, you know, and yeah, what it's that achievement would look like. It's an interesting idea because I've thought about, um, I've seen a few people online recently criticize the, the, the payments that some of our politicians receive for their wages. Yeah. Um, but I pointed out to a person who was nearby recently sort of sledging our, our premier and i pointed out come on man like yes it's a good wage but compared to someone running a business of like a, a large business it's not a lot of money and yeah you, you know to, to to suggest that someone with the competency of running a whole state um is overpaid because they're on five percent of what people in charge of something like the Commonwealth Bank would get paid is somehow morally wrong. I'm like, mm, who's got more employees? Do you want, do you want a competent person? Cause 
What's going to yeah. drive the competent person to go work for that wage in the government when they can go do use their competency somewhere else for twenty times the income? Well, um, and that's yeah. you know, this is trying. Is I think this idea is trying to address yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's it what is. I was going to say. I think you're right. Could, could you imagine if um, communism followed that model? I wonder if it would be a more successful model. It's definitely a more successful than it's definitely a more successful model than communism. But um, you know, so is building a boat out of paper. Um. <laughs> no, but, it, but it has some similar sort of ideas a little bit in the way that yeah. they're, they're sort of setting it up. But uh, as what we sort of see in what, the way that communism has played out, anyway, those at the top get the most luxury uh, versus uh, the proletariat and the uh, on the bottom. So it'd be interesting if that was sort of a, a flipped dynamic because it's kind of a similar thing, but it's just rather than sort of, um, you know, uh, having um, having that at the top, the the leaders aren't aren't sort of in that position. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious about that. Noticed, so yeah. is that why people think that Marcus Aurelius was such an awesome leader? Because he, when the plague hit, sold all of his possessions sold all of the palace riches he sold his family's jewelry sold all those things to throw the money back to the community and and help those people do you think it's like do you think that's why people look at him and go man he was legit he was legit good because he did all those you know self-sacrificial things as a leader which historically is extremely rare to have an example like that well he's he's followed through on the rhetoric and, you know, I think there's lots of leaders who deliver great rhetoric around um, what they do and what they stand for. We're in this but together, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is unusual to, uh, to see somebody actually stand by that and say, yeah, you know what, I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to you know, put that aside. Is that, is that like uh, Trump um, donating his pay packet to... Uh, um, different charities and stuff through his time in office. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, I recall that not being discussed very regularly by mainstream media, but I do recall that. that Too much fake news. Yeah. yeah. He did do that. But, um, I mean, uh, in fairness, the guy was very wealthy beforehand, but still, um, that was something worthy for sure. It was a good deed. And. Yep. Uh, the world misses that presidency with the current one, I think. And no one's <laughs> talking about it because no one likes egg on their face, but give me Biden or Trump, I'll take Trump every time, and I don't care who that annoys. At least he wasn't some lunatic who left his own citizens behind to get completely wrecked. So as much as he was a pain in the neck... You didn't do that. Uh, Tim, you better, better put on your uh, fireproof suit. The internet's going to come storm you soon. <laughs> Let them come. <laughs> no, look, he, I'm not saying he's the greatest president of all time, but he's certainly not as useless as the current one. But, yeah, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Well, I reckon we should uh, wander to the pub for lots of us quickly and wrap this up. What do you guys think? Uh, I think my uh, my conversation was already leading us there. 
<laughs> all right I'll, I'll flick a a screenshot here so i know to put our pub philosophers thing there and uh all right so the great lie i think is the main takeaway from this one uh i think australia is missing a great lie is the point i would like to suggest Ooh, and okay I, 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 let me explain and i'm not a one nation voter so you know but I, I actually, and I'm not, you know, I'll just say it, who cares? So I think part of the weakness of having a multicultural society is the absence of unification around a belief system. So in, in that, if you look at a country historically, where everyone mm. identifies as I'm from that country, and this is my religion, and this is my belief system, that country is similar to what Plato is painting here, uh, sorry, what Socrates is painting here, where they have a noble lie or, or, or a, I won't say unifying it's a lie, but myth. Correct. Unifying myth. We don't have that. Um, so I think when, when we look at a scenario like China versus Australia, mm. China is a very united country. Not by choice. Are we? <laughs> no, but, but they are still well, united. Tyranny. Yes, but still united. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, I think, anyway, discuss. I think Australia is missing the great lie. I, I, you could argue that point for any Western country, though, these days, because that, that's just the way of the world now. Um, it doesn't I mean, make even, it right. No, and it maybe... Doesn't make it wrong I mean, like, I'm not saying either way. Yeah. I just think, I think there's an absence of that. And what does that mean? I don't know. Mm. I mean, China, just to point out, um, they've got um, different beliefs going on within China. It's just that their government only supports one. And in fact, they murder and enslave people who are of the other religions within their own nation and their own countrymen because they don't believe the nation's doctrine. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know. I, I don't think I'd be signing up for that either, just quietly. Um, <laughs> I don't want to sign up for it. No. As I said, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm, I'm, but no, but I'm look, saying look, I, when I, I analyse our point. society, that's missing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in, it's interesting you mentioned that because you know how you've got like the ancient works of um, uh, of art, of literature. So you, you probably know better than me, Tim. There's the Greek one. The Is it the Iliad and the Odyssey? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a Roman one which is called the I think it's called the Aeneid or the Aeneid or something similar to that. Um and what the Roman version one was basically a rewrite or an expansion on the Greek one and they've essentially just written it because they wanted a unifying tale um to 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 unify uh Rome. Yeah. Well, it, interestingly, when I did a little bit of reading on this um, a scholar was throwing a bit of shade at uh, or Plato or uh, Socrates for this because he's saying that this was actually a rehash of the Egyptian caste system. Probably. Uh, yeah. Um, so he's saying it wasn't... And look, in fairness, uh, Socrates kind of prefaced this by saying, well, this is a Phoenician fairy tale that I'm, I'm rebirthing here. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't um, claim it's original. No, no, no. So, um, yeah, so look, I guess that practice has always been, and you can say Rome has been sort of built on the, the 
the shoulders of um, what the ancient oh, Greeks, the Greeks. Society oh, big time. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, massive. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would make sense. Yeah. Do you, so, um, okay. Sorry, Ruben. Yeah. I was going to say, how, how about this for an idea? I, I think that we have had a myth foisted on us to try and unify us, but not as, not as a national level, at a global level. Globalism or COVID? <laughs> no, 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 not COVID. Um, yeah, that's not bad. That's <laughs> no, but I think, um, and say what you say what you will about climate change. Um, like I, I'm not again. I like I'm not a. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Uh, what I'm referring to more mm-hmm. is the attempts to try to use that to unify countries rather than. Um, what, what what Socrates is talking about is to, to unify as a unify a nation, but I think you can mm. see that as as, as a singular example of how um, they're almost trying to use it to unify multiple countries, um, and I think that's probably where the problem is because there are issues with climate change. But what they do is they try to take it and they try to push it and they try to and they turn it into like a unifying myth. I, I mean, is that a bad thing? Well, I'm just asking a philosophical question. Yeah, no, no, yeah that's right. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's that, that is the question. Is Socrates is what Socrates is doing, um, for argument's sake? Let's say it works. Yeah, is it a bad thing. Yeah, I don't know. I I get what you're saying. I don't know how. Look, to climate change might not be example. a good. Look, yeah, that might not be a good example. But yeah. I, I think here's, I think here's there an are example. A... Sorry, here's a bit of inspiration. Okay, so something that's dear to my heart is space travel. What happens when we send people to Mars? That's not a nation. That's a new planet. There's no government there. There's no borders there. If we set up a thing there and people from multiple nations go there, it'll eventually have its own form of governance. In all the sci-fis and Star Trek and all that sort of stuff, it was kind of assumed that by the time we get to be multi-planetary that we would be a united people Unified, on our own yeah. planet. Um, and that would be a globalist effort to go and do these other things do you think we we would need a unifying myth for that to happen well that's see that's what that's the question that um star trek kind of always assumed that we were all from a christian background and i saw an analysis on this recently um where they go to a different planet and it's it's essentially rome but 2000 years later and and it's missing christianity and it, it the whole feel of it is completely different and there's still slaves and there's still gladiators and all these different things it's a really cool episode and it shows that um you know without the insertion of christianity into rome where the west would have ended up and it, I, I thought it was a really good episode but um so i think they 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 had that answer of well everyone will be of Christian heritage, and that's that's how you would be united is around the, the Christian myth, for lack of a better description. Of you reckon the authors of Star Trek say. had that mindset? No, I think they did. I think they, a lot of them weren't Christian for sure, but I think they recognised the influence that the Judeo-Christian belief system had on society, and they explored mm. the idea of what would it be like if you went to a planet that was essentially devoid at the same point without that and it just showed it didn't work 
and that they hadn't even gotten close to space travel and they hadn't been able to unify as an as a planet was this the original star trek series yeah original star trek series yeah well i mean it could be just because of that era that they probably were uh middle-aged white guys who were <laughs> the writers and directors well no seriously yeah. though because of that time obviously look that show in fairness was a, like fairly progressive because it did have uh, lots of like multicultural sort of um people in that casting yeah. right which is pretty unusual for the time i think you know when it first first sort of dropped but, but, so my but i'd be is, certain is, that the writers probably have a similar background but <laughs> yeah but my question is is space travel the next one so we, we might not be able to explore the global warming or, or find an example that we can understand well enough to discuss tonight but i think talking about one that's not yet here could be like we've kind of seen a, a taste of it like when we had the space race to the moon we saw different nations competing against each other and yeah. then once the space race was won it settled down a bit but then the international space station happened and countries started working together to make this thing that's working i don't know i mean I, I i think the countries are working um in some senses just as hard as what they were for the original space race to become masters of that zone as well i, d I don't know that we're working like there are parts that that work collaborative um collaboratively but um i think there is still like immense sort of separation between china's space program and the us's space program the european space program um yeah. and i have a feeling that you know when you do sort of wind up getting a colony in mars or whatever it's going to be it's it'll be interesting to see who does and who gets there first because um i think it, it may well be a, a very national flavored thing i mean uh yeah. you know when you know, man walked on the moon. It was a U.S. flag put on there, not a not a flag for Earth. You know what I mean? Yeah, so exactly. doesn't doesn't that depend on how many people get there and why they get there? I mean, if you look at the colonization colonization of the New World, yeah, like when when people first came to the Americas, they were running. You know, they were running from the the, the current um, sort of status quo, and it eventually led to you know revolution and all that sort of gear. So that that would be another uh, another possibility. I think it might be yeah, more I mean, like how Australia was settled, where you had the French arrive and they're like, eh, this is a crap hole, I'm not going to even worry about this. And then the British came along and they did their thing. Yeah, let's go home, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, I, I think there's a, like, if you want to look at a sci-fi example, I don't know if you've ever watched the series called uh, The Expanse on yeah. uh, Amazon. Yeah, yeah good and call. I think that, that, that one gives some, like, different sort of views. And if anything, um, you know, as humanity starts to colonize different parts of the, the universe, it actually develops more segregation and more um, sort of frustration because effectively they become their own countries unto themselves, you know. And, uh, you know, yeah, that one they've got Mars. They've got Mars set up essentially their own world and you've got what they call yep. the belters or people that live in the yep. asteroid belt and then you've got earth what i find really interesting about that series that i liked is that um earth is united but it's not it's not a paradise no it's not a yeah. paradise I, but i don't know like 
and I must admit, I haven't seen, uh, I think I saw the first two series and I haven't kept watching it, but uh, it didn't feel like Earth was like, like it was sort of united, but it was pretty um, fragile, that, yeah. that unity, right? And I don't know that, you know, maybe they hadn't gotten to that, uh, uh, you know, um, noble lie or what have you to unify them. Well, actually, that's a good example because they do, they sort of juxtapose that, that Earth where things aren't all hunky-dory and, you know, you've got classes, mm. you've got poor, a lot of poor people, people that can't yeah. get jobs, whatever, and in conflict versus um, Mars. And Mars mm. is presented as being united because they have a common goal of terraforming Mars. So that and kind of... Would, yeah, and that kind of would operate, like we're talking about, as their, um, as their what do you call it, as their uniting myth yeah. because they're like... This is what we're building. This is what we're in together, and you know, this is yeah. the future kind of thing. I'm just yeah, conscious you're, you're of well time, right. guys. Um, we probably should wrap this one up, but I think we should actually pin this on the what I would call the car park board. Um, what do you think about the idea of us having a conversation at the end of reading this book about what government would we build for Mars? <laughs> yeah. See if we can apply the lessons learned. Yeah, I think yeah, um, that'd be a really interesting exercise. I think once we sort of see how this plays this, out, yeah, yeah, and I'm really curious to sort of see how it how it lands because it's yeah, it's super interesting with with what's happened now, and uh, I think it would be interesting to apply that logic for sure. Yeah, sweet. All right, we'll, rock and roll. we'll wrap it up there. So, look, guys, great chat. Thanks for joining me tonight. Um, for those listening at home, uh, remember the Republic wasn't built in a day and neither middle-aged men. <laughs> <laughs>